This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Denise Yu and Rosa Fox. Hi. Hi, Ben. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Cool. So maybe it, I think it makes sense to start with just a, a high-level description of what CodeBar is. So the general ethos of CodeBar is to help groups of people that are underrepresented in the tech industry by teaching programming skills for free. Mm-hmm. That was a good just, elevator pitch. <laughs> that sounded pretty practiced. Yeah. Just, um, to, just, just to be clear, I did not provide them with questions ahead of time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we have a few different chapters now. It began in London and it was started by a lady called Despo Pentara. Mm-hmm. Um, so she felt that the tech industry could be a lot more diverse. So um, she decided to call on the community to try and um, improve things. And I actually went to one of the first code bars. It started about a year and maybe like eight or nine months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost almost two years now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pretty new. Yeah, relatively new initiative. Um, I think the main point is that CodeBar is completely run by volunteers. So a lot of people wonder, um, you know, free coding workshops, that sounds great. Where do I sign up? How much do I have to pay? Um, it actually, because all the coaches donate their time. Mm-hmm. So all the coaching is completely free and it's volunteer-based, which I think is great. That's super cool. Yeah, it's awesome. We have a lot of community support, both from the coaches and the sponsors who host the venues and um, provide food because everyone is happier and codes better when they're well fed. Uh huh. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting to me. Like we've actually had you're the third group of people that we've had on recently who do similar things along these lines, like free coding mm-hmm. instruction for people that just want it. Like we had uh, Saran uh, earlier who runs Code Newbie, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, Aiden Feldman last week just who who uh, does uh, Hacker Hours which is sort of a similar thing, just like you show up and get help from people that are just volunteering their time. Like it's, I, I, was t- I said before to him, I think it's such a wonderful thing that our community is willing to do this. Yeah, we found in, because um, I co-organized Code Bar in Brighton, and uh-huh. at first we found it quite strange because we were having a situation where we were actually having more mentors turn up than students, <laughs> wow. which in a way was like a great reflection on the developer community but on the other hand it was a little bit heartbreaking because you know we want more diversity in tech and then people like what what are we doing wrong why aren't people coming but I think um you know like all these events it just takes a while to kind of get going and maybe people the more confident friend might go along and then invite a friend to come along and now we've definitely got the uh other way around which is really good lots of students each week so super cool uh so code bar is two years old uh, what What is your involvement with it these days? Um, so I am one of six organizers in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so in London, we run a couple different chapters now. We have a West London site, which is the first event is going to be in a couple of weeks, and we're very, very excited about that. Um, but our main event that is every single week is, we call it London. I don't know. It's like over the way of London, West London, South London. It seems kind of silly because they're all London, but uh-huh. we just have to distinguish them somehow. So... Primarily, I, along with the five other London organizers, take turns um, showing up to the workshops, doing whatever admin needs to be done before the workshops, um, spending time emailing sponsors to get additional venues lined up for future workshops. And lately, we've been also making a push to do more one-off weekend workshops because there's a recognition that 
our regular workshops are during the week, typically mm-hmm. Wednesday evening. But sometimes it can be difficult, especially for people who live outside of central London, to make it in for two hours. So we're trying to do more weekend workshops to accommodate different schedules. And so far, the reception's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of work to pull off more events. Uh huh. What what kind of size are these typically? Um, it varies. Ultimately, the workshops depend on the amount of space that the the hosts have. Gotcha. So anywhere from forty people to sixty people, sometimes even pushing seventy people. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's crazy what a surge of people there are that are trying to get into this industry and learn learn the ropes. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense, like, economically, right, that there's a, there's a ton of jobs there. There's this huge demand for people. And so if you can kind of get the basics going, you can kind of get into there and tap into this market. Yeah, and I guess that's, well, our aim is to get more women and people otherwise underrepresented into the industry. And I think um, without that kind of community um, factor, it's... It feels like quite a disconnect if you're, mm-hmm. I don't know, if you're just kind of looking at job adverts online and you're sitting at home on your own. Yep. Um, so I think this is a nice kind of, it kind of opens up the barrier to entry. Right. Gets people to that might not have otherwise given it a go to give it a go. Totally. And I imagine that's like really awesome and comforting to walk into an event and have like, hey, people look like me here or and to, like, you know, to some extent, like I feel I felt at home and like not like I'm standing out in a weird way. Yeah, it makes a lot of difference. And because um, I actually started going to Code Bar in London as a student, mm-hmm. um, and I had done some coding at uni, but I found it a very different experience. Um, I think maybe it was because there weren't really any other women. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not, not too sure. I think it was maybe partly it was me. And now I think back, I do think it you know, it wasn't the right mentality. But at the time, I kind of felt that if I didn't understand something, I'd be scared to ask for help because mm-hmm. I didn't want to look like, oh, she's asking the guys for help and all that kind of thing. Totally. And I think I thought that they kind of knew what they were doing. But actually, mm-hmm. I don't know if they knew <laughs> more than me or not. Yeah. But, in, you know, because I wasn't like part of their group as such, I just didn't really understand. So yep. when um, I started going to Cobar, in London, I was really taken aback by the fact that people were actually encouraging me and saying that you can actually do this. So, mm. so after going to Cobar for a while, um, I got my first job as a developer. And then myself and one of the mentors who also lived in Brighton but commuted because he worked in London, we mm. decided to start it up in Brighton. So it's been really nice because it kind of helped me. Yeah. Now I can kind of give back to it. Totally. And you have an awesome success story to share and say, like, look, this is doable. <laughs> Yeah, it was quite um, quite an undertaking, kind of organizing a coding event, being so new to it, though. But it's probably like the best thing I've ever done. So that's so cool. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely feel the same way. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with coding. How am I putting together these workshops to teach other people how to code? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, some days it's just I don't know. It's uh, sometimes we don't know what we're doing. But... Well, right, but you're you're a little <laughs> further along than the people that are showing up, right? Yeah. Well, for I think for the most part. Yeah. I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of started off obviously as a student, then I got my job and then started learning more, getting more confident. Then I started becoming a mentor myself mm-hmm. and I've learned so much from doing it. Of course, right. Like as soon as, as, soon as you start teaching it. Yeah, yeah, and there's so much stuff that you think you know, but that I think there's a big difference between actually knowing something and looking it up. And obviously like it's great to be able to find information, look it up, but mm-hmm. it's also really great to actually be able to just use it so it's been an eye-opener because there's been a lot of questions and I've been like oh yeah of course I know that actually I don't I need to properly learn this and come back and 
So. Yeah, that's interesting, Rosa. What you said earlier about if you're the only woman there, you feel like in a way you're representing like your gender or something. Like it's it has this weird impact of like I'm afraid to ask this question because it somehow reflects on a bunch of people that are not even me. Yeah, looking back, like I don't think that's a good attitude to have at all. Sure, but that is how I felt at the time. Yeah. There's a lot of irrationality in humans, right? Like if you, if you think about it like purely logically, yes, I should not have felt that way. But like we have tons and tons of feelings like that. Like that's just that's how it is. And that other thing that you touched on, which was sort of this, you've, you kind of had this imp- impression that other people knew what they were doing uh, and you felt confused and you were sort of seeing their outer like confidence maybe and comparing it to your inner turmoil and be like, oh, am I the only one that's not getting this? And like this just that just happens all the time. Like everyone is kind of like projecting uh, in general, like this sort of air of like, oh, yeah, I think I know what's going on. And inside is kind of like a little bit of a mess. And we're all kind of doing that simultaneously, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been like nearly a year and a half now of actually working as a developer. And I do, I, like, I really love it. And I do think that um, it, it's getting easier. I mm-hmm. think the first year was like pretty hard, but it, it is getting easier. Um, mm-hmm. Partly because I think at first you don't really, you see the problem and you just don't really know where to start with solving it. And then over time, obviously, you kind of, you know the building blocks to put together and you can kind of like figure it out and I always think oh, I can't wait so I've been doing this for like five ten years but mm. then I talk to people that have been doing it that long and they say it doesn't really get easier but that, I guess that's one of the brilliant things about it is that you always be challenged yep and that, that's one of the things that I will often tell newer people to it one is just that 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 thing that you brought up earlier which is like it's you're gonna feel uncomfortable a lot <laughs> it's like if, if you don't like the feeling of like ah oh, this should work and it doesn't and I don't really know why like that's that's kind of programming forever yeah and it, you have to accept that it's just normal to get stuck I think that's one of the things I struggled with a lot yeah I don't know if you had it as well yeah definitely um and at uni as well I just felt like like why is this so difficult and then after all you have once you've accepted that actually this is just going to happen it's part of the process yeah I remember the the first time I ever tried to write a rail scope I didn't know how to do it and I literally cried because it was Mm. so difficult for me to approach the problem at that point when I was so new to rails yeah I mean I know how to write rail scopes now fortunately because that's what I do professionally yeah rails I mean not writing scopes but right rails but yeah I think that kind of feeling is good because it gives you a sense of humility to mm. the entire discipline of software engineering mm-hmm totally yeah I, I think this is something I try to I try to talk about a lot and stress is that it is hard and like the mental component of learning to program I think is really the hardest part is mm-hmm. getting comfortable with being stuck and also dealing with your own self-doubt and your mm-hmm. own frustration. Like, that's all the really hard part. Like, yes, the technical stuff is tricky too, but I think the thing that really kills people and like that actually causes them to not ever get into it is they just kind of have this, they just decide, you know, I'm, I'm not smart enough for this, or this is too hard, or I'll never learn this, or it's just too overwhelming, or, you know, I, I don't feel welcomed here, I don't feel comfortable with the people that are around me. Like, I think it's always mm-hmm. these social and these mental issues that, that really get people out of the field. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so what we try and say to the students as well, because obviously we want more women and underrepresented people in the industry, is that no one expects you to be a brilliant developer straight away. Mm. No one is. If anyone thinks they are, they're probably wrong. So if you see a job spec and you think, I don't know how to do everything, if you have the skills to figure out how to solve those problems mm. and you've put some time into um, building up your own portfolio, building things then you should just go for it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of job require or like listings like that are sort of a, a wish list. Mm-hmm. And like you don't yeah. need all 12 things there. If you have, if you're pretty strong on a few of them and a couple you've never heard of, like that's probably actually fine. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it turns out, I think, um, actually, women are less likely to apply for the same job given the same exact qualifications mm -hmm. as, you know, a male counterpart. And I think that's one of the things that, to my knowledge, we don't provide that many. We have provided one or two career workshops through CodeBar. Um, but I think the main thing that CodeBar helps a lot of people who are just starting on their journey to code is that unlike, you know, like in Rosa's situation where you're in a classroom with 20 other people who are trying to do the same thing, you don't have that element of competition hmm. because the person sitting next to you at CodeBar is working on something entirely different hmm. and yep. they've got their own coach or they're, you know, they're working with a different group and it's just irrelevant, you know, how far they're doing. The model of CodeBar is that we try to get one coach to every two students. Mm -hmm. um, we try to get as close to a one-to-one -one ratio as possible, but that depends on student attendance, coach attendance. But it's nice to just, I think, to just have someone sitting next to you and answering your questions as they come up and just the understanding that there's no such thing as a stupid question at CodeBar. Yeah, totally. And so it sounds like there's some continuity week to week. People are working on projects that span multiple meetings. Um, yeah, I mean, it varies on the individual. There are some tutorials on the CodeBar website that were written sort of as a launching off point for people who were completely new to coding or, you know, maybe had some sort of HTML experience but didn't really know where to go next. Mm -hmm. So there's most of the tutorials are on HTML, CSS. There's some on JavaScript. There's some on Ruby. Mm -hmm. um, version so, control. Version control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so we do encourage people to work through those, those tutorials. But, of course, if you want to come with your own project, that's also welcome, and we do our best to match that person with a coach. It is a little bit difficult sometimes when, you know, students say, oh, I would like to learn Haskell or something, and there may or may not be a coach present who knows Haskell. Yep. So in general, because the majority of people are quite new to coding, we encourage people to try to pick a well-known tutorial, whether that's CodeBar or Codecademy or Cohen's or, you know, Exorcism or what have you. Uh-huh. I think we found in um, Brighton as well, the people that seem to maybe get more out of it are people that do work on their own projects. So mm. they'll probably go through some tutorials first mm -hmm. to kind of get the foundations, but then actually build something that they can use at work or use at home. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a lot more motivating. Yeah, totally. And that motivation, like we, we touched on, is the hard part. Mm -hmm. Staying into it and not giving up on it. It's easier if you really want the thing that you're building to actually be in existence. Yeah. So it looks like there are nine or ten local chapters of this, of CodeBar? Yeah, I don't actually know the number off the top of my head anymore because there are so many new ones popping up. Uh -huh. We've got London, West London, yeah, South, South London, London, Brighton, Cambridge. Manchester, Manchester. I, see, I Manchester. see New York. Yeah, New York. Yeah, I guess if anyone's listening to this and you, you're thinking, hey, I'd like there to be a CodeBar in my city, um, we actually highly encourage people to start CodeBar chapters um, in their own city. There is one in Brazil. Hmm. There's one starting up in Brazil. Yeah, there's one starting up in Brazil okay. um, where they've actually started translating all the CodeBar tutorials into Portuguese, which is amazing. Nice. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, but yeah, there's manuals and everything on the website for anyone who is interested in the CodeBar model, I guess, and wants to give it a shot. Uh-huh. So the idea is that um, we've got the CodeBar website, which is www.codebar.io, mm -hmm. and it's all open source, so if anyone wants to contribute, they can. And you can either sign up as a student or a coach, and there's a coach's guide on the website and also um, the code of conduct. Mm -hmm. Then you will get email invites each week, so if you can come, then accept. If you can't come, then just ignore it. Um, so the idea is that you don't have to come every single week 
which does make it a bit more difficult to manage because yeah. it's kind of, especially when you're relying so much on the goodwill of people, you can't really force people to come. But of luckily so far, um, the community have been absolutely amazing and there's always lots of people. Um, so obviously that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a different tech company hosts the event each week. So all the information is on the email invite. The first half an hour of the workshop is usually like eating pizza, chatting. It's a good opportunity to speak to other students that are learning, mm-hmm. um, finding out about their experiences and also developers who work in the industry. And that's something that I found so, so useful because suddenly it didn't seem like a faraway world that I'd kind of read a job advert and not really know much more about it. It's mm-hmm. really great to actually talk to developers and find out how they got onto it. And then usually about 7 p.m., we have a quick talk from one of the mentors, which is usually about how they got into programming, why they enjoy it, um, what they do at work, words of advice, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then we split off into um, either one-on-one or two-on-one for coaching. Mm -hmm. And you try to match people up with the same coaches week to week? Um, no, not really. Um, it's quite hard logistically to do that. Sometimes it randomly works out like that because for example, in London, we have a handful of people who have wanted to learn Python recently, which is great. And there, there happens to be a few coaches who come quite regularly who work in Python. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to pair up, you know, those people. And it turns out that there's kind of like a little Python contingent in London code bar. Um, so, you know, if you have a reason like that, you tend to work together. But for the most part, we actually think that it's good for people to work with a lot of different mentors totally. um, during their time at CodeBar because different people have different mentorship styles. Um, and sometimes one coach will explain something in a way that, you know, just like the light bulb just goes on because of the way they phrase something. Yeah, totally. What kind of stuff do you have in your coach's guide? Like what kind of recommendations do you make to people? Things like just don't take over the keyboard because this mm. can kind of be quite off-putting. Yeah, um, and that's so tempting. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> often we say maybe mentors don't even really need to bring their own laptops, so they're kind of more speaking and guiding, but yep. obviously not taking over because that can be quite intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, not letting students copy and paste because mm. it's not really learning. Interesting. Um, well, obviously in the real world, we're going to copy and paste but for getting the kind of motor memory practice, I totally. think it's yep. good. Um, no stupid questions. Making that clear that never make someone feel stupid for asking a question because yeah. that's going to like... And yeah. that's, that's really easy to do and like subtly, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think Definitely. people underestimate how much attention you have to pay to not accidentally do that. Mm-hmm. Like even recently, I have accidentally done that and like gotten feedback from people like, you know, that I felt like kind of bad when you said this. I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. Like I, I, I think of myself as someone who's like fairly aware of that. And it's just so easy to, to, to screw it up. Yeah, I find things like what is it called? Like a uh, feigned surprise yeah. are things that I do all the time without like completely accidentally exactly. and that can make someone feel so bad about their own progress yeah i first read about that from the recurse center or formerly hacker school now recurse center they, said they, oh, have, like, okay. a, they have a yeah. rule explicitly no fan surprise which is just yep. like you haven't heard of a sql database like you've never you yeah. don't know what git is <laughs> or like you don't know what rails is right come on that's not going to help anybody learn rails actually maybe we should incorporate that into the code bar coach conduct or the coach guide yeah, and it's, I mean, there's just so much, so much terminology that you don't, you just start talking and realize it doesn't make sense. Like I was teaching HTML and I said, oh, this tag, what's a tag? And I was like, oh, like, yeah, I need to really start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. it's good to make sure that you really explain <laughs> what all the words mean. 
Yeah, but actually, I find that those kinds of questions actually sometimes lead to the best discussions at Code Bar. So exactly. I heard a story. I heard a story from a coach a couple of weeks ago who was mentoring somebody, and the student asked. They were working in HTML, and the student asked, "What's a body tag? Why do I need a body tag?" And he actually, like, he's you know, professional developer, very very smart guy, but found it really difficult to conceptually explain what a body tag is in HTML and why you would need it.、Mm-hmm. And it's just something that you don't think about in your day to day. So that actually wound up leading to a really, really interesting discussion about, you know, like what are HTML tags? Totally. You know, what's the human purpose? What's the computer purpose of them?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I, I think they can definitely lead to great discussions. And I, I think when a student asks a question that they're a little bit embarrassed to ask, is when、mm-hmm. you have like the best moments. Like the things that like you were like I really should know what this is, but I'm gonna ask anyway, even though it's kind of uncomfortable. Like when they when someone actually takes the leap of faith and does that, like it's such a great、yeah. opportunity. Mm-hmm. So creating that culture where people feel are willing to take that risk is is so huge. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always say to them, just please ask me if there's anything, anything at all that you don't understand. Yeah, I feel like it's hard to put yourself back in the shoes of someone, like to remember how like intimidating it can be,、mm-hmm. and to and to make it just so easy and impossible to ask you questions. Yeah, sort of at the start, making sure that you actually introduce who you are, what you do at work. Get the students to kind of talk to each other. Try and kind of establish a kind of a relationship、yeah. so that they feel comfortable in your presence.、Mm. Um, and then also in the future, say that if they're at another session, then hopefully they can come up to you and ask you what you've been on, working on, and things like that.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, one thing that we have in London is I don't know if this has been ever come up in Brighton, but we tell all new coaches, don't worry about the students' text editor.、Um, hmm. Be Text editor agnostic as、yeah. best as you can, and I'm not talking like Vim versus Emacs. It's like some people, you know, have older computers that run IDEs that I've never seen before, and you just, as a coach, you have to just figure out how to work within the students' tools. Yeah, that's that's yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I try to stay out of the editor holy wars when it comes to people, especially <laughs> in, in, in the in the short term with people, right? Like if you're trying to help someone with a specific problem, they are not、mm-hmm. there to get a lecture on like why modal editing is awesome. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have I have strong opinions. That's one of the areas where like I have really strong opinions, and I have to just kind of like keep my mouth completely shut about it because it's, it's not helpful at that point. Yeah, like someone I was mentoring for a long time, like totally would like happily、sure. get into that eventually. But like for if, if you're just trying to help someone on the that week, like just stay out of it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and then I guess、um, the big one is you know let them make mistakes, let them get frustrated. Sometimes、mm. you can see them like they're spending ages typing something out, and you know it's going to be wrong, but you just have to kind of sit there and. Let them figure it out, because otherwise they're going to get home, and it's going to be even more frustrating when it doesn't just work、yeah. straight away. But then you get to have a discussion about, oh, why did jQuery not work that time, or why did this element not do what I wanted it to do?、Mm-hmm. So, so do you both mentor each week? Do you coach like cons- or fairly consistently? Yeah,、um, I coach less now because、mm-hmm. um, most of the time that I spend at Code Bar, I'm Actually, working on pull requests to the application,、uh-huh. we have actually a our own application that Despo wrote at one point、um, because using Meetup wasn't really feasible, especially if other chapters wanted to get get set up. And I know using Meetup can be expensive、hmm. um, and not necessarily the best tool.、Mm-hmm. Um, so the Codebar Planner application is capable of things like automatically handing out waitlist spots to people,、um, but it also gives the organizers control over you know say for say at the last minute. The host tells us, "Oh, we can take ten more people," or "Oh, we actually can't take you know this many people." Then we can adjust it、um, accordingly.、Mm-hmm. So, are there future plans for this? Do you have any idea what's what's down coming down the road? Well, in Brighton, because Brighton's been going for just over a year, so we are now trying to 
set up some sort of um we're still in the quite early stages of it but some sort of program or scheme to try and work with companies that host code bar to get more students working in those companies mm-hmm. um so if they've got any junior positions or paid internships you know we want the students to be treated well so you know we don't want them to get paid like really badly and we don't want them to just get like you know left to their own devices so yep. trying to work with companies to basically make them aware of this give them advice on how they can make their environments um, more welcoming to a junior um, and to someone underrepresented and hopefully this will mean that we'll have a lot more women working in the Brighton tech community yeah so do you think of Cobar as a job training program effectively not everyone that comes to Codebar wants to be a developer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for a lot of people, it's, you know, they've always wanted to try coding and just don't have the time to go back to university, get an engineering degree, don't have three months to take off of work and go do a boot camp or anything like that. Yep. Um, so it's a nice additional resource that it's much more, you know, offers people much more flexibility, obviously, because it's only two hours a week. So I think... Maybe the long term, although our our mission statement is we want to make tech more diverse, and that does imply, you know, doing something to eventually equip people to enter the workforce. Mm -hmm. So far, that hasn't really been a primary focus, just because it's quite difficult on top of running weekly workshops, on top of, you know, convincing the sponsors to give us their space and financial sponsorship for food and everything. Mm -hmm. But I think it is a goal that CodeBar would probably like to work towards in the future um, mm-hmm. assuming that we have enough support that we have enough manpower to keep doing it mm-hmm. i mean if you if you can get someone to the point where they can get hired in this field i feel like that's such a huge life change that you can give to somebody yeah and it's strange originally i thought the people that would be most likely to want to work as developers would be people that already worked in the tech industry that um maybe they were a designer or a project manager and they could easily kind of transition within their own company but i find some of the most enthusiastic people are people that actually they hate their current job they find it so boring and they say to me like i love coming to code bar because i actually get to use my brain and i think those people you know there's so many amazing jobs that they could be doing and if they could end up having a great career because of code bar and be doing something they really wanted to do then that's amazing that is amazing and it's it's amazing for them and it's also amazing for the world like taking someone out of a job that anyone could do and has no mental you know component to it and have putting them in a place where they can leverage their intelligence uh, in such a powerful way is just is awesome. I, I approve of your mission. Keep going. <laughs> oh, thanks, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to st- keep expanding, do more, train more people, make the world awesome. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really know what the end goal is. I don't mm-hmm. know what Despo's you know, end vision for Code Bar is. I don't know if there is an end mission mm-hmm. because making tech diverse is a very, you know, <laughs> that's quite a big thing to do. And I don't know if Code, you know, CodeBar, I think, is one of many organizations in a huge sea of organizations that exist for this purpose. And I think, right. you know, if CodeBar can make a difference in one person's life or in, you know, just in one person's day, even, you know, like you give someone a space to come and ask the questions they've always wanted to ask. I, I see that as a success. Totally. And and I mean, like you said, there's there's a lot of work that will have to be done by a lot of different people, but it's it's yeah. nice that you're contributing towards that. Yeah, and obviously, you know, code bar is only two hours a week. If you want to work in the industry, you're going to have to put a lot of time in into mm-hmm. you know in your own time building up your portfolio, and it does take time, mm-hmm. but it's not an impossible goal. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that it's just you just need to put the time in and really want to do it. Mm-hmm. I buy it. <laughs> uh, anything else we should cover? 
Well, if you know anyone who mm-hmm. is uh, female or otherwise underrepresented in tech and maybe they're interested in coding, maybe they've never done it before, maybe they are a project manager and they just want to be able to communicate better with developers, maybe they want to build their own app to help their own business. Um, if there's a code bar nearby, then please do ask them to sign up because um, it's a really friendly and inclusive place. You get to meet loads of great people. Um, we try our best to even encouraging people to go to kind of other tech events and making the mm-hmm. community that way. I mean, we had um, there was a conference in Brighton called Responsive Day Out, and they gave away 12 tickets free to Codebar students who all mm. had a really great day. We've got like a Codebar lending library where we have books that people donate and then we will share them out and give nice. them back again. That's great. Things like that. So if you feel that they would benefit from that, then please do get them to sign up because okay. we'd like to have them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess the other shout out um, is if you are a company that would like to host a Codebar event in the UK, then please get in touch with us. We're always looking for more sponsors. Um, if you're not in one of the cities that we listed, uh, London, Birmingham, Brighton, Cambridge, Manchester, that's it, right? Yeah, I think that's it. If you're not in one of those cities, but um, actually the reason why why Codebar got started in Manchester is because a group of developers at ThoughtWorks said, um, Codebar is awesome. We really want to start a Codebar. We have the office space. We have developers. You know, let's do this. And that's basically how Manchester got started. So all it takes really is one or two people who work at a company that's willing to host, and that's all it takes to get Codebar started in any city, really. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. So do it. There's your call to action. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, well, thank you both for coming on. It was great talking to you. Yeah, thank thanks you. so much. Thank you. Yeah. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 152. Thanks for listening. 